We're going to jump into the word for the day. We are in a, a series called Jesus According to John. It's uh, looking at the, the gospel of John, the, the, the biography written by the apostle of Jesus. Um, we are in chapter 5. I, I've, uh, this week I, I, I developed a new name for certain chapters um, in, in the Bible, and, and this is one of them. Uh, this is what I'm calling a, a, a hippopotamus chapter. Um, in that, you know, hippos, they are, if, if there's one word f- to describe them, it's large and round, right? Like they're just, and this, this chapter is, is large, and I just, this week, I really had a hard time just getting my arms around it, um, and, and so this we're going to be hugging the hippo today, all right? There is, uh, just fair warning, there is a, a lot to get through this um, in a lot of different directions, um, so I mean... It, my goal is this. So I, sometimes my, the goal of, of, the, of a message is very straightforward. Today, I have a couple of goals, but they're, they're, they're not super concrete goals, okay? I, I'm hoping today, uh, as we spend time in this word, a couple things happen. One, that the wonder, that we wonder at the mystery of the nature of God. All right, sometimes, and sometimes we, 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 we study and the end result is understanding. And hopefully we'll have some of that too. But there are some things, as we're going to talk about today, there are some things that the, the goal isn't understanding, the goal is wonder, is appreciation, right? Um, when you go to a, a, a magic show, you don't go to understand how they do the magic. You go to wonder at the magic, right? Um, and so we're going to we're going to hopefully wonder at the nature of God today. Number two, we're going to be encouraged in the tr- in the trust we can have in the Word of God. We're going to get into some uh, some maybe some nerdy things that um, that that's going to force us to confront us, like we've been talking about. This book is very confrontational. Going to confront us with with the Bible itself, kind of what it is that that we we read and put our our, our trust in. And third, um, um, third goal is that we would be challenged to evaluate what hinders our faith in Jesus. Because um, the story, at the end of the story, Jesus is, does just that to the Pharisees, and there's some, I think, uh, analogies or some hard questions I think we, we need to ask ourselves. So um, with that, I'm going to uh, pray, because this certainly needs a prayer, and then we're going to jump in. God, we, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I ask that you would, you would uh, open our hearts, open our minds to hear from you. God, would you uh, give us the... the the understanding to know what we need to understand, the wisdom to know the, the parts that we just need to accept and we need to, uh, we can wonder at. Lord, I just ask that you would help me to speak clearly and think clearly as we, we dive into your word. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 5. Uh, we're just going to, we'll start right off and, and it gets, gets bad real, real quick. Um, John chapter 5, verse, verse 1 through 4. So um, we're going to put up verses 1 through 4. Um, after Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days, and inside the city, near the sheep gate, was this, the, the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. The crowds of sick people, uh, 
Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on the porches. What's, what this verse is, um, the problem with this verse is, well, let me put it this way. When, this, when I went into my little program back there, and I copy and pasted, I copy and pasted five verses one through four. Do you see a problem? There's only three verses up there, right? Um, most of your translations, now modern translations, most of them no longer include verse four. What in the world is happening? <laughs> So, like I said, it starts off, we're starting off uh, heavy today, guys. Um, so we have to, under, what, why, well, let me just, first I'll read verse, what this quote verse is, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Verse four, in some translations, now it's kind of become a, a footnote, it says, verse four, for an angel of the Lord went down to certain, certain at certain seasons in, into the pool and troubled the water. And whoever stepped in after the troubling of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So this verse isn't, isn't in our, most of our modern day translations. So what in the world is going on here? Um, and and I, I thought about just skipping this because to be honest, I probably could have presented this in a way you wouldn't have noticed and just kept going. But... <laughs> But I felt like this was an important kind of lesson uh, moment for us to just kind of look at this. And we don't need to be afraid of, of things that are, are, aren't superficially understandable or superficially uh, you know, straightforward. Verse, what happened is verse 4 isn't found in earlier manuscripts discovered in the 1800s. All right. Let me put it this way. In the, so we had manuscripts, right? We got, we got like old copies of the Bible, right? And so we had these copies, and there's copies of copies, and that's how things got. They didn't have Xerox back in the day, right? People copied things. Hand copied. Um, so we had some old copies that we based our modern translations on. And then, I think it was the 1800s, uh, they, discovered some, they discovered more manuscripts, right? More copies. And the ones they discovered were actually older than the ones they were using up till that point. Um, you with me? Okay. So uh, what they realized in these new ones that they discovered was some, pe some scholars looked at them and when they got to verse four, they felt that verse four was actually um, a notation by one of the scribes and not actually written written by John. Um, so they understand they got these older manuscripts and they looked at them and they, and they go, oh, you know what? I think, I think verse four was actually supposed to be a note. It was, it was a note by, and, and this isn't like, like thousands of years later. This is like John wrote this and then like, you know, a generation later, we're talking like early second century, still really close to source, source material. Um, one of the scribes made a note, like with brackets or whatever their equivalent was, and say, hey, this is what he's talking about, to bring clarity to the verse. Um, and, and then over time, as things got copied, the, the, the fact that it was a notation kind of got 
kind of got lost. Now, some scholars also hold that it is, no, it's, it's just original. Like, that's still, um, it, this, is, this is what John actually wrote. Okay, so we, have, so we have some scholars, and this happens. Sometimes scholars, imagine that, a bunch of academics don't agree. Um, don't always agree on every, everything. So what does that mean for us, right? Does, does this mean that the Bible's not true? Does this mean, you know, um, I hope, hope none of you are, you know, your, your, your heart's pounding in your chest and, you know, you're going, oh, no, I can't believe any of this. Uh, it's all going out the window. No, calm down. It's fine. Um, <laughs> some, some scholars hold it's original. Some don't. Here's one thing to remember. No one is arguing that the verse or the notation isn't true. This was... Uh, there's, there, was, there was a tradition, a belief, or a reality that an angel would stir up the waters from time to time and people would be healed. You can find uh, all kind, you can find source data even outside of scriptures from that time that confirm, confirm that. All right? What we have here is um, this doesn't need to be a crisis of trust in the Bible. Actually, quite the opposite. The, the fact is that this minutia is the type of translation issue that shows just how accurate our translations are. That this is, this is what we're talking about. When, when you really get down to it, when people want to challenge the, the reliability of Scripture, these are the kinds of things that they're referring to, um, even if they're not... They don't go into a lot of detail, one, because they probably actually don't have first-hand knowledge of what these discrepancies are. Um, the other is, when you get down to it, there's, we're talking about very, very minute misunderstandings within our translation, right? We have to understand, we read, I mean, no, we, the Bible was not written in English, right? Obviously, we all know that. It was, and it wasn't written recently. <laughs> so we have... We read translations of the Bible, and they are incredibly accurate, but they are translations, and we need to understand that, and with that comes the understanding that there are certain words that it was originally written in that we literally don't have a word for, right? So there's no such, you know, people argue about translations, well, is it literal or is it, is it not? Well, there's no such thing as an actual word-for-word -word translation of the Bible. It doesn't work like that because the words aren't one-to-one, -one, right? We, don't, we have different, a different set of words than, than Greeks did and certainly than the Hebrews did. And so it is a translation. It's a, it's a conveyance, a very accurate conveyance of the truth and the meaning of the Scripture, Okay? Um, and that hopefully can give you a, hopefully that's a, a satisfactory answer if you have more questions love to talk about it we can email this week um, but, but I didn't want to just skip over that, um, that that we have an incredibly reliable um, Bible and we don't need to be afraid when we notice weird things like this. We can look into them and there's, there's good reasons that we can still trust that what we're seeing is, is reliable. How about that for the first three verses? Uh, <laughs> all right. That's not really what I wanted to talk to you about today. It was just kind of a road bump we had to, had to hop over. Okay, so now we're going to get into the actual story 
uh, of, of John 5. One man was there. So we're at this, we're at this pool, right? We now know that there's either because of John or because of a scribe, we now know that there's this pool and that there is a belief that there was an angel that would come every once in a while and stir up the waters, and the first one in the pool got healed, okay? Um, there's a man who had been there for, had been ill for 38 years. Now, they include this, uh, his age, specific, for a specific reason. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of, uh, well, the hucksters uh, back then, right? F- people would feign uh, illness. Have anybody seen Trading Places? It's okay, you can admit it. I know it's not the holiest movie in the world, but there's a scene at the beginning where Eddie Murphy is, is, is trying to, he's panhandling and he's, he's on a little skateboard thing and he's got his legs, he's pretending he has no legs, right? And the cops come and they lift him up and he's like, oh, praise Jesus, I'm healed. His legs come out. He didn't invent that, right? That, that, that's not a New York City exclusive kind of thing. That's been going on since literally the beginning of time. And so the writer includes his age because nobody's running that scam for 38 years, right? It was, it was, a, it was a verification of the, of the authenticity of his handicap. That's why that, that, that eight, his age is in there. It says in verse 6, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been lying there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? It's an interesting question. Seems like a, almost a silly question, <laughs> doesn't it? And the man's answer um, is interesting. Because his answer is not Yes. We go on to verse 7. He says, Sir, I have, I have no, no one to put me in the pool when the, when the water is troubled. And while I'm going, going another steps uh, down before me, someone jumps in ahead of me. So he, he, he doesn't say yes. Jesus asked him. He doesn't say yes. He, he, he gives a reason why he can't. Right? Because in his mind... There's only one way for him to get healing, and that is this, um, this exercise, this thing he's got to do that he physically isn't able to do. And what Jesus does here is he, he uses this opportunity to demonstrate the fact that, that his type of, Jesus' type of healing is different than every other type of healing. That G, when Jesus heals someone, there is not a, there's no requirement um, on your part, there's no limitation on your part that can exempt you from his healing, right? There was a, a supposedly, there was a, this man at least believed there was this he, potential for healing at this pool, but his limitations were too great for him to overcome to receive the healing. And Jesus comes to him and, 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 and look at what Jesus, how Jesus deals with it. He, he skips all of the parts of, G, of the man's limitations and he just says, rise, take up your pallet and walk. We don't need to do all that. I, I'm Jesus and, and we're just going to skip the, the things that you can't overcome. I'm going to take out of the way and we're just going to get right to the healing. This is, this is a, a beautiful picture of how Jesus ministers to us. He, 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 he loves us and he's powerful enough to, o- to overcome any limitations that we have. So much of the time in our own lives, if you're anything like me, where you, there, there's things you're struggling with and 
And my objection or my doubt in God's ability to move is always my own limitations. Right? I can't, I don't know if God can forgive me of this because I'm too untrustworthy that I'm not going to do it again. Or I don't know if God could use me in this way or that because I'm not, whatever, fill in the blank. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough faith. I'm not, I'm not you know, skilled enough. I don't, whatever. Not talented enough. In Jesus' interaction with this man, he shows us that once Jesus is involved, our limitations don't really matter all that much because he's greater than all of them. It's a beautiful picture. But it's just the beginning of the story, really. Um, because not only does Jesus uh, heal this man, he, he also uses this situation to kick a hornet's nest, really. Um, pick a fight, maybe, is one another way to say it. Um, so, so the man gets healed and he picks up his, and Jesus, and you know Jesus does this on purpose because he's Jesus, and he, he specifically tells the guy to do something that's going to cause the trouble. Like it wasn't a coincidence, right? So, because it says Jesus tells the man to, uh, you're healed, and he tells him to pick up his pallet and walk, right? Now the problem with that was it was a Sabbath, and Sabbath meant there was, you know, the Pharisees and all the Sabbath laws that they had. I think, you know, if you've been around church around here, we've talked about this a number of times, how, how you know, the Pharisees, the religious rulers had all these rules about the Sabbath to make sure that we kept it holy. And so we had rules on our rules to protect the rules for the rules of the rules. And um, one of the rules was you couldn't lift, like you couldn't carry anything more than a certain number of steps. And so they see this guy who just got healed, um, miraculously healed, carrying his mat, and, and their response is, uh, <laughs> it's just so funny when you read the, read the, the text. He just, so the Jews said to the man who was cured, so the Jews said to the Pharisees, they said to the man who was 10 minutes ago paralyzed for 30-something years, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your pallet. Talk about bearing the headline. Like we're just skipping over the fact that there was a, a miracle that took place. We're, we're going to focus on the fact that, that you're, you're breaking a rule. Uh, you're, you're, you're carrying your pallet. How dare you? And so they, they, they challenge the man. They ask him, who is, who is this man that healed you, that told you to, to break this rule? Now, the man who healed, he didn't know it was Jesus at that point um, because Jesus had kind of slipped off right after he healed him. And then, but he, here's another thing that kind of confronts us with Jesus, that, that shows us, tells us a little bit about Jesus. So that happens. And then verse 14 says, but afterwards, Jesus found the guy, went back and found the guy in the temple and told him, listen, now that you're well, you need to stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And Jesus had gotten off kind of scot-free. Like he had managed to show compassion, love the guy, heal the guy, you know, and got out of there. His name never got brought up, but, but he chooses to circle back around 
and have another conversation with the guy. Why? Because he, he, he knows it's going to reveal his identity, but he loves the man too much to not tell him the rest of the story. Now, we don't, again, this is, you know, the Bible is not a transcript of every conversation Jesus had. Um, we have this, this verse that says he, he went back and told him, now you are well, stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. But that, we can assume that's not every word he said to the guy, right? I mean, it kind of makes sense. He didn't just pop up out, out of the, the, the crowd, say one sentence to the guy, and then run, disappear again. Uh, they had to have spoken more because the guy didn't know him before, and now he does. So there had to have been some conversation, enough conversation there where he would also realize who Jesus was. It's a powerful testimony to, 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 to who Jesus is as a person. He's willing to, he's willing to, make, <laughs> he's willing to make things, quote-unquote, more difficult for himself to fully give us the opportunity for restoration. It's beautiful. Um, but if we keep going, um, we, we get into, we get in now, the, the, the conversation is going to shift from the story to really the, the fight that Jesus picks through the story. And, um, and, and there's, this is where we really kind of start hugging the hippo because Jesus is going to, uh, to in this conversation, hit on some very um, big big topics. Uh, in verse, starting verse 15, he says, then the man went, went and told the Jewish leaders that it was uh, Jesus who had, who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For not only had broken the Sabbath, but he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So he, here we have another example of Jesus claiming his divinity. And he, he, he doesn't stop there. He goes into this long discourse. The rest of the chapter really is just Jesus, uh, a discourse of Jesus, a, a sermon, a teaching, whatever you want to call it. Of Jesus, And he's going to talk about two things, and that's what we're going to really be looking at today. And the first one is the nature of his relationship with God. So how, what, what is Jesus, what is the relationship between Jesus and God? He's going to, he's going to explain, try and explain that. And then, and then at the end, he can, he's going to confront the Pharisees with the real reason why, why they reject him. Okay. Those are the two things he's going to do in this discourse that we're going to look at. Um, and this, th these are both very important. The first part is super important because it's formational for our doctrine and our understanding of the nature of God. This is, this is a fabulously uh, informative verse. Um, but it's one, as I talked about before, where the end of the goal of this first part where he's talking about the nature of God, our, 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 our destination, our, my hopeful destination for this is wonder, not understanding. Um, and you'll, I'll explain what the difference is here in, in a minute. Um, and then the second part is going to be more appli application because, um, you know, the Pharisees in the, in, in the 
in the Gospels are, we like to, we like to categorize them as the, the, you know, the bad guys, um, the other guys, the evil guys. The reality is um, they're really not that different than us. They're really not. Um, and so we can learn a lot, and, 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 and we can, especially when it comes to our own self-evaluation, how Jesus interacts, the questions he asks them are all questions we should always be asking ourselves. Because Jesus, throughout the Gospels, this is not... Uh, Jesus' interaction with the, with the Pharisees, we always see as these harsh confrontations. But the reality is, even in those harsh conversations... His goal is the same as when he was talking with the woman at the well or when he's talking with his disciples or when he's, you know, uh, healing the, the, the paralyzed man. It's all the same motive. He is, he is trying to give them the best opportunity to see him for who he is and believe. And there are parts of us that we maybe don't always want to acknowledge that, that line up much more with the Pharisees than the disciples. And so it's important that we, we look at and apply to ourselves the question Jesus asked the Pharisees so that, so that we can have a different outcome than they did. All right? Okay. So we're going to just jump into to, to this, this next. So Jesus goes into this long discourse. And he starts in verse 19. He says, I tell you the truth. The Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. And then you will be truly astonished. So Jesus starts this discourse by declaring his dependence on the Father. Right? I do nothing, um, I can't do anything that I don't see the Father doing. That there is a, there is a dependent relationship between the nature of these, these two, the Father and the Son. Now, it, if he had stopped here, um, uh, there would be a whole lot of other options when it comes to spirituality in, in the world. Um, do you know almost every major religion in the world has, uh, has a theology of Jesus? He is a part of their doctrine. Um, and if Jesus had stopped right here, they would have a legitimate claim to what they believe about Jesus. So the Muslims believe that, that Jesus was a prophet. An important man, a man sent by God, a man who did miracles. The Hindus believe that he was a, a divine spirit, just not a uniquely divine spirit, because they're polytheistic. The Buddhists believe that Jesus was the embodiment of enlightenment. But the person of Jesus isn't the source of salvations, of salvation, although his teachings could lead you to salvation along with many other teachers. So Buddhists are all about kind of the thought process. That's kind of, kind of their, their thing. So it doesn't, you know, it's not about Jesus, but what he taught, if you follow it, you could end up at the, you know, salvation, enlightenment's kind of their concept of salvation. Um, Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus is actually the, the archangel Michael, so another created being. And Mormons believe that Jesus was God's son 
but they mean it in a different, they mean it in the, in the way that um, we are all sons of God. Not that it was, it was a separate thing. And that he was a, a son of God in the way we all were, we all are. And then God gave him like superpowers. Um, so he had, and he had the powers of God, but it was like he was one of us that got endued with those powers. And all of these ideas might be in play if Jesus had stopped his discourse at that point. But he did not. <laughs> He did not. He kept going. And so we need to obviously keep going to see what the difference is. In verse 21, he says, For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. And the power to raise people from the dead um, at that time was universally understood as a power solely reserved for the God of the universe. It was the ultimate power, right? And so uh, Jesus here is clearly stating that he is, he, that he is God, it, just in this one verse. He, Jesus, gives out life out of his will and his desire. He says, and so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. So in that first verse, it's all about he's dependent on God. In this verse, though, he's saying, but I, do what I, I can do what I want. I have the power of resurrection. It's not just through God. It's I have the power. He's co-equal, yet independent use of the same power that's reserved only for God. And he goes on in verse 22. He says, in addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge so here we have another, another, sounds trite, but it's the most accurate term I can think of, another superpower, right? <laughs> these, are, these are literally superpowers. Um, the, the right, the power to judge, to, to establish right and wrong, and to, and to make right and make wrong. Um, here we have another God-only duty, but this time, this role is exclusively given to Jesus. Did you catch, I don't know if you, you caught that. In ver, he says, uh, the father judges no one. Instead, he, uh, he has given the son absolute authority to judge. So here we have the son having a God-only duty that, that the father isn't a part of. Why did the father give Jesus, the, give Jesus that role? Why did he give that to the son? Well, he answers that in, in verse 20, 23. He says, so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. And I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. He gave Jesus the role so that we would honor or understand their equality. And in his wisdom, this was the best way to accomplish that. Listen, Jesus, the Bible, Jesus and the Bible are both very clear about this. Jesus is not a prophet. Jesus is not a perfect man. He's not an angel. He's not any of those other, uh, other things. Jesus claimed to be God and also have a unique relationship with the Father. Side note, is there a better apologetic of, of the truth of the gospel than this reality? 
that, that, that every major religion venerates Jesus. He, he's too powerful. He's too high profile. He, he's too attractive to deny. So he, he gets, they, they include him in their belief system. It's like, it's like if you wanted to know what the best restaurant in, in Columbus is, and you went around to all the, the great restaurants and, and talked to all the head chefs, and every one of the head chefs said, and you asked them, what's the best, what's the best two restaurants in the city? And of course, all of them would say their restaurant, <laughs> right? Number one. But imagine if, if you went around, and, and so every, every one of them says their restaurant's the best, but every one of them agreed that their second, their second vote was for the same restaurant. What analysis would you draw? That's the best one, right? Because <laughs> they have a, you almost throw out their vote for themselves because that's self-serving, right? This is kind of a, you know, a silly picture, but a, a good analogy, I think, of what we see when it comes to, to world religions in a very scaled back, kind of obvious way that, that all of them say, we have the path of truth, but so does that guy. But if, if not us, then Jesus is the, a really good source, right? They all agree on that. The problem is Jesus is the one that looks at the Bible. Christianity is the one that look, looks at all of the other religions and says, sorry, guys, it's only us. So everybody else is agreeing that, yeah, this is a really good option, except for the fact that that option is saying you're not a good option. And so there, 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 there has to be a dividing line. There has to be a, a choice between. It can't be both and. They all include him. They can't, now they, they, they all include him in different ways, but they all do the same thing with him because they have to. And that is, in whatever, whatever their explanation of who Jesus is, they, they venerate him, they, they um, try to align with him, they give him his, his, his props, but they, they try and steal his divinity. They can't agree how he isn't divine. They all have their own explanations. They just all know that he can't be. Why? Because, because if he is, then they don't have a religion. <laughs> right? It, it, if he's God, then, then what he says absolutely goes, and everything, every time that they disagree with anything he says is irrelevant. And so they, 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 they stop short of acknowledging his divinity, because if you, can, if you can remove Jesus' divinity, he just becomes one in a crowd. It's the, it's the thing that makes him unique from every other God, every other religion, every other holy man, every other sage. The fact that he is God. You might be thinking, okay, okay, Jeremy, but, but that doesn't resolve the tensions or the inconsistency in what Jesus just taught, right? Because we just read these kind of confusing verses where, where he's saying he's dependent on God, and he's, but he's, uh, uh, you know, he, he's separate from God. He is God, but he, he, he only does what the Father says. How can he be God yet subject to God? To, the, to God, but equal to the Father, but limited by the Father, yet doing the thing the Father didn't. He's different, he's the same. He, he's under, yet he's equal. He, he's different, but he's one. Like, just tell me how all this makes sense. 
Um, I have bad news for you. Um, Jesus hasn't even mentioned the Holy Spirit yet. See, there's also a third part of this thing, uh, uh, a third part, a third God, a third uh, in this mix called the Holy Spirit. And with this, and in chapter five, he doesn't he doesn't deal with that, and so we're not we're not going to. Uh, try and launch into that today but but the truth of the mystery of what we what we call in Christianity you probably know this term the trinity is one of the most obviously right things about Christianity to me what does that mean your definition of god should be messy it should be bigger than you That's not being intellectually lazy. See, we, sometimes when we, we want to share our faith or we want to talk about God to other people, we let people make us feel bad for not having um, a, an intellectual answer to certain things. And I want to encourage you today that there, when, on, not on every subject, but specifically on the subject of the nature of God, if you, if you have an answer, it's a bad one. We can be, it's not being intellectually lazy to, to, to not have, a, to, to say, I don't get it. To say that I don't have, we don't have language for it. To say that we can't understand it. It's not intellectually lazy, it's being, it's being logically humble. We're talking about the nature of God. If you could understand it, then how godly could it be? The, the nature of God is, is known as the doctrine of the Trinity. There's other doctrines as well. But this is the one that Jesus is kind of starting to help us understand in this discord. Um, and uh, just to, to kind of like start the conversation or help you kind of form some, begin to form some ideas about it or, or think of it, think of it, wonder at it. Like I said, this is the part where our goal here is to, to wonder. I'm not trying to help us figure out the Godhead today because um, that ain't going to happen. Um, but there's seven statements uh, I, I'll give you real quick that, that are all true statements. This is kind of the, the, the layout of, of, of Trinitarian thinking, um, Roughly. Uh, seven statements of the Trinity. There is one God. We believe in one God. We believe that the Father, God the Father is God. We believe that Jesus, the Son, is God. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God. We believe that the Father is not the Son, that they are different. We believe that the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and we believe that the Holy Spirit is not the Father. The math on that does not work. You're not wrong. <laughs> the, the, those are, those are, this is the classic example of what a paradox is. Opposing truths. But that's the beauty of the Trinity. Our, our explanation should fall, should fall short of our understanding. It, it's, when we, it's when we demand in our own intellect to be able to extrapolate 
truth to the point that we can control it and we can, and, and we can act on it that we start getting into some really squirrely stuff. M- m- many, um, I, this my, my, it's my opinion, um, but many of, of your, your, your cults or distortions of Scripture, um, even some, some other religions, I think ended up where they ended up in a, maybe at, even on the front end in a noble attempt to just go too far to understand God. They just, they just refused to have a, have a they, they insisted on having a religion, not a relationship. And one of, the, one of the dividing lines for me between the two is, see, in a relationship, a religion is a structure that you have to have complete control and complete understanding of. That's not true of a relationship. You can have a great, strong relationship with not a lot of control and, and not, not a total understanding. Raise your hand if you're, in a, if, you're, if you're in a healthy relationship in your life. Not all of them, but you have a healthy marriage. It's okay, you can admit it. In a healthy marriage. It's not perfect, but it's healthy. Do you think I'm in control of my marriage? Do you think I have total understanding of Shannon? No. No. But that doesn't, that doesn't negate the strength of the relationship. And that's the difference between religion and relationship. And that's why you have false religions that, that end up in these bizarre places because they, 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 they refuse to trust or, or let the, the structure and the, the understanding bow to the relationship. They insist on the structure and the understanding being over top of it. That's the way I look at those things. Anyway. So there's a little primer on the Trinity. Um, now, for the sake of time, and frankly so our heads don't explode, uh, we're going to kind of skip to the next number of verses. And Because and, I really, before we go, we're running out of time, I want to look at, I look at Jesus' uh, words to the Pharisees. Um, also because, so we've looked through uh, 19 through 25, verse 24, verse 25 through verse 30, um, is actually, we, we've basically gone over the same material because what, what 25 through 30 is, is actually a restatement of 19 through 24, but flipped. It's, it's what's called a chiasm. It's basically a, um, a me- <laughs> it's going to sound weird. Instead of rhyming, Words, a lot of times in, they would, uh, in, in ancient literature, they would rhyme thoughts, logic. And so what we have in 19 through 30 is this chiasm. It's a, basically, it's a logic poem, okay? And, and, and it starts in the middle, I know, weird. Um, and so you put your main, your main idea in the middle, and then you build out up and top these kind of progressive thoughts. And so this one matches this one, and this one matches this one, and this one matches this one, this one, you know, until it goes to the middle. That's what, chap- that's what 5, 19 through 30 is. It's a chiasm. 
and they always break my brain and, and they hurt me. And so um, we don't have time to look at the bottom half of it and I want your brain to break like mine. So I have copies of it um, out, out there on your way home that you can take and do some studying on your own and just look at it. Take, take five minutes and just kind of look through the lines. It, 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 again, if it doesn't spark wonder, just, just in the, the, the brilliance of, of the, the authorship um, and the writing of Scripture, I don't know what will. Um, but you'll see, it, it, it's what we saw, but there'll be the, the second half is kind of like saying the same thing, but the inverse of it, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm going to leave those for you guys to take home, and maybe this week take, take some time and, and, and look at that and kind of absorb it. Um, but, but I want to keep, keep going. Verses, uh, let's see. Verses, so... In verses 30 through 42, we're going to move on. Uh, Jesus basically lays out the reasons that they should believe him. He's talking to the Pharisees, right? And they've, they've confront, they're confronting him about um, the fact that he claims to be God and the fact that, you know, he dared heal this guy on the Sabbath. Um, and so he, he's laying out the reasons why they should believe him. He gives three reasons. Based, first one is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a super... Um, Influential. We don't, I don't, we don't fully, I think, appreciate how, how big a deal John the Baptist was in, in their culture at that time. And, so, and his whole sole job was, was to gather everybody's attention and then go, and there's the Messiah. So, so John was a, a, a reputable witness, right? So, so he mentions John. And then he also mentions that his, his teachings and his miracles. He's like, if that's not enough, I... I healed a dude. What else do you need from me? Like, he, he points to his miracles and his teaching as, as reasons why they should believe in what he's saying. And then the third reason he gives is, is he says Moses, but what he's talking about is the law. He's basically saying the whole Old Testament points to me. I'm the Messiah. It's supposed to be me. So those are the reasons why they should believe in the name, but, the, but they still reject him. Right, and he knows that, and so this is what he's confronting him with, and this is this is where he's also going to confront us. All right, um, he says, "But you still reject me." And in verse forty-three, he confronts them with the real reason they won't believe, and we all deal with this. Right? There, there are there are reasons we give for decisions we have. There are reasons we give for uh, opinions that we have in life. And then there are the real reasons we have for the decisions we make and the opinions we have, right? Sometimes they line up, but not all the time. There are plenty of times where, where you've done this in your own life, I'm sure, where the reason you give why you can't go to so-and-so's house and help clean the, the backyard isn't the reason that you give them. Right? We've all done this. Oh, the kids. Well, the kids are fine. You could have. <laughs> you could have. Um, but sometimes we, 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 we don't always give the real reason. Sometimes it's because, some because we just want to spare somebody's feelings. Sometimes it's because we're, we're not aware of it. We think this is the, gen, the real reason we're doing something or we think something. But there's a whole other layer below us that we're not even aware of in our emotions 
um, that is driving our opinions, that is driving our decisions. And so Jesus is exposing this to, to the Pharisees and, and also us because he loves us. And so he says, For I have come, in, I've come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in, in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. The reason they rejected Jesus is they wanted the honor, the word honor, it's doxa, it's the same word we translate glory. They wanted the honor of others more than the honor of God. When you break down all the sophisticated arguments and all their knowledge and all the, all the everything, Jesus looks at them and goes, the reason you can't come to me is because you, you love the honor, you want the glory for yourself. You're not willing to share it with me. You're not willing to give it to me. And the reason we struggle today to obey, to worship, and to follow Jesus hasn't changed in 2,000 years. We still don't want to honor Jesus at times because we want the glory for ourselves. At the end of the day, that is the heart of much of what drives us, especially our sin and our, our rebellion. Our, 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 what we say is, I'm just struggling to believe. And the reality is, no, you're struggling to want to believe. Because if, if, I, if I want to believe that, then that means that I am no longer uh, at the center of this thing. It means God is. And we have to choose because we, we can only truly at one, any given moment in any given decision, we can only seek the honor of one or the other. You can only seek the honor for yourself, the glory for yourself, or you can seek it for God. You can't do both at the same time. I'm just going to, a couple quick questions and then we're, we're going we're gonna to go, I promise. Um, how much do you care about the opinions of others? How much does your reputation matter? What are the driving forces behind what you post online? Your Insta, your Facebook. Not what do you post, why do you post it? What is the reason behind the stories that you tell your friends and your coworkers? What's the, what, what's the, so when we tell stories and we just share our lives, we, we always, we're very selective, right? There's always a reason we're choosing the stories that we choose. And it's, it, it can be a powerful evaluation tool to look through your last week and every story you told. I told this guy about that. I told this guy about that. Here's a shortcut. Which ones do you keep repeating? And really look and ask the Lord to reveal, why am I sharing this story? Why is it so important that I tell everybody that I had a headache on Thursday? Why is it so crucial that I make sure everybody knows I'm busy, 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 busy? 
Why is it so important that I just so happens to come up, I bought a new car, you know, whatever it is. Because our motivations, what is driving those things, is either going to be because, is either, it's trying to get glory for something or someone. And it's, it's, it's crucial that we, we start to be honest about what that is so that we can make, a, make a, a, an informed decision of who we're giving glory to with our lives. And this is where John leaves us. Sorry, no, no nice, neat wrap-up today. <laughs> he leaves us with this choice. I thought he's, he's such a confrontational dude. He's really, you know, he likes to step on toes. He just leaves us here. So rather than put a tidy bow on it, I'm just going to leave you with these questions to deal with next week. <laughs> um, because thankfully, in chapter 6, he does bring us some answers. We're going to see the, the, the sides of Jesus and Jesus demonstrating in word and in deed what, what fixes the solution to our glory-hogging problem. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, would it continue to take root in our, our minds and our hearts? Let it, may it spark, even this week, just fruitful conversation amongst each other, amongst those uh, that, that we run in, run, uh, in, in, in our own uh, circles. God, would you, would you um, continue to, to open our eyes to the wonder of your scripture, of your truth, of the vastness of just your nature, where we didn't even scratch the surface of one part of one little toe of the hippo this morning. But we, we thank you for... For, 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 we thank you for, for showing us so much of yourself that, that it does overwhelm. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Happy Sunday. See you next week.